0: And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors.
1: And good morning welcome to the Hump Day edition of The Real Investment Show. Yep, it's Wednesday already. Can't believe it. One day back. It's already halfway through the week. And uh, before you know it, second best day of the week is tomorrow. Then it's Friday. And woo, already, into, already into the month of September. Right, so month of September is going to go pretty quick here as we uh, start to really kind of focus on markets. And again... September tends to be a little bit weaker month in the market. So again, let's, you know, kind of su- not surprising here what action has been going on. And and of course, you know, it's, as we've talked about previously, you know, markets tend to kind of ebb and flow. And, and there's what we call buying and selling stampedes. And what that is is, is essentially a movement in the markets that, where you get this kind of string of buying and during a buying stampede you'll just have this kind of incessant pace of buying and every day kind of the market just goes up and then you have a selling stampede which is the opposite which is like it just won't stop going down right and that seems to be the case as of late particularly over these last few days and historically what's important about these buying and selling stampede episodes is that they tend to last on average about 14 days 14 to 20 days, right right around that. It's about the average length. Some are shorter, some are obviously longer. Like we had a much longer one, you know, starting from the July lows up to the, uh, the recent August peaks. Uh, and now we're about 13 days right now into this selling stampede in the markets. And this is why it just seems like, you know, day after day, the markets just kind of go down and it's very challenging. And again, we don't mind it when markets are going up, right? That's good. We just don't like it when markets go down kind of every single day, and that's what's been happening here, but this is very normal relative to the markets. In fact, if we just kind of go back and look at the market this year, you know, we've had just multiples of these buying and selling stampedes that have just occurred. And, and again, you know, markets will go down so much, and then you're gonna get a rally, and then the markets are gonna give that up a bit. And of course, the difference is, is that when you're in a bullish mode, the selling stampedes tend to be a little bit lighter um, and the buying stampedes tend to be a little bit longer and stronger. And it's it's the opposite in when you're in kind of in a bear market environment like we're in now. Um, importantly, though, as we just continue to kind of talk about here, want to be a little bit careful. Yesterday, I was on Fox Business with Charles Payne talking about this very thing, is that markets are getting very oversold here. So again, a, a reflexive bounce is not going to be a surprise at all. And we want to use that bounce as an opportunity back here towards the 50-day moving average to, to try to reduce some of that exposure so you know if you're if you're feeling like you know right now it's like ah, i just got to sell something i got to do something sometimes that's not the right time to do things you know we're, we're going to get a bounce here in the next couple of days and, you know, and it could be a fairly strong one, um, you know, just, you know, where we get a day or two of, of a fairly decent bounce. Now, we're probably not going to get a lot more out of it right now. We are kind of in a very challenging period in time at the moment. But any rally here back to around 4,000 on the S&P 500, that's kind of a good target zone to be looking at to reduce some equity risk, raise a little bit of cash. Could markets go higher? Absolutely. Um, But there's a lot of resistance now that's going to be challenging the markets on the way back up. You know, the 100 days right above the 50-day moving average. You have the 200-day where we just failed here recently at at the market peak. Uh, That 200-day is kind of continuing to trend lower here. So, again, you have a lot of downward pressure on prices from overhead moving averages and resistance levels, etc. So that's what I'm saying. You know, use rallies as an opportunity. If you haven't liked this market this year, if you've been under a lot of pressure, you know, it's okay. Um, Use the rally, you know, raise some cash, reduce some of your exposure, sit back a little bit, you know, and and, and kind of reassess your situation, right? And, and, And think about what you're doing and is it the right thing? You know, we have a lot of people that have kind of bought into this whole idea that markets just go up over time and that you know just you know you buy an ETF or whatever and you just sit on it and you just kind of ride it up and down and that's that sounds great in theory and you know the, the kind of the general premise is, is oh you know markets are going to go up over time and you know the down markets are just part of it so you just kind of ride that out don't worry about it it's it, it sounds easy until you're in the midst of watching your portfolio go down every day and and that's where the realization of losses really kind of start to show up for people. You know, it's, it's easy to negate the, you know, kind of dismiss the loss idea until you're in the midst of it. You know, it's, it's always interesting. There, uh, there used to be, and still are. There's a lot of these kind of investor profile, risk profile questionnaires that you fill out online, right? And they always ask you, is like, well, what would you do if markets are down 10 percent? Well, during a bull market, everybody always marks those things as like, oh, I'd buy more. I wouldn't sell anything. In the a bear market, if you give the same person that quiz, they'll tell you that they'll sell when markets are down 10% because again, when you're in the midst of the decline, reality hits just how devastating monetary losses can be. So, you know, psychology is always a very interesting thing in the markets. And this is what I'm saying is like, you know, look, you've been under a lot of pressure this year. This is where people tend to make mistakes and, and start to try to sell things they shouldn't sell, try to buy stuff they shouldn't buy and and you know kind of come up with these theses that you know that really don't have a whole lot of merit to them over long term but this is where just sometimes just stepping back though from the markets and just saying you know what I'm going to step back here and just kind of reassess my situation what I'm doing what I'm trying to achieve there's nothing wrong with that at all there's nothing wrong with just taking a step back and reassessing your situation and then trying to come up with a strategy that will work better for you and allow you to sleep better at night. And that's really kind of the key to all of this. You know, if you're, if you're worrying about the markets and what's happening in your portfolio, got too much risk in it. And that's where we need to step back and reassess those things. Okay, a couple of things coming up also that we're gonna talk about today. You know, there's, there's still a lot of concern. This was one of the, the things we talked about yesterday on, on Fox Business is that, you know, when you look forward, earnings still have to come down. And if you take a look at what's been happening with the markets this year so far, Markets have been re-evaluating valuations at, at this point. And, and valuations on a forward basis have come down because prices have declined, but earnings haven't come down yet. And so when we talk about this re-rating or this revaluation of the market, that hasn't occurred yet in reference to earnings expectations, which are still very elevated. And, you know, we were talking about $242 a share in earnings in 2023 just a couple of months ago. Now, it's come down to $214, but that's got to come down a lot more here before we start getting in line with what is most likely going to be generated by the economy. Um, You know, if you take a look at what's happening with inflation, that's going to impact earnings. High wages are going to impact earnings. And, of course, when you start to slow down consumption and demand because the Fed's hiking interest rates, that's going to impact earnings as well. And that really hasn't been fully compensated for either by Wall Street analysts, which are still very optimistic about forward earnings expectations. They're just assuming the Fed's going to hike rates, navigate this very soft landing, and it's all going to be great. History says that we're probably going to have a recession next year. And during a recession, you're going to have much more negative impacts to earnings expectations. Those are gonna come down a lot more, which would suggest that that markets have to lower valuations. And that's gonna occur by both a drop in, 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 in earnings, the E part of the PE valuation calculation. The other side will be a drop in the price to make those align and bring valuations down. So that's one of the bigger risks we've got going into the end of the year. And you know, when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit about this economic data we've got going on. We've got a lot of divergences in economic data. A um, couple of interesting uh, reports out yesterday on, on the services sector of the economy, which makes up about 80% of the economy. Two measures measuring the same thing, two completely different readings. We'll talk about that, what that means and which one you should be paying attention to right after the break. Don't go away.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: It's back to school time, and for your high school student, it's time to fill out the infamous FAFSA form for college financial aid. Mistakes could cost you money. Our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA. Register now for this free lunch and learn with Danny Ratliff and Chris Liebham Thursday, September 15th at noon at realinvestmentadvice.com. Filling out the of FAFSA is vital for getting financial aid. Learn how. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
1: And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, realinvestmentadvice.com. That's uh, where you'll find all of the great stuff, right? I mean, that's where we have our newsletter, our daily uh, our daily market commentary that we just published today. It's out on the website now. If you're subscribed, you get an email right at 730 this morning, give you a market update, tell you what to expect earnings-wise. Lots of stuff in there every single day. Of course, uh, our latest blog post is out. Michael's article out today talking about the, the differential between staples and discretionary, kind of what's going on between those two and which one you should bet on. Uh, that's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, always lots of, uh, lots of stuff there. Plus, while you're there, just ask a question. We answer every question every day. So always happy to help you out. Just don't ask stupid questions because <laughs> you'll get a stupid answer. <laughs> Um, what was it Mad
2: Magazine that had snappy answers to stupid questions? Yes, you remember that series? Exactly,
1: <laughs> Mad Magazine. That was see. That's a magazine they should bring back. Oh yeah, especially today. Yeah, there's so much stuff to write about. What me worry? <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, a couple of things uh, that we were talking about just for the break. You know, markets are you know trying to figure out what's going on with the economy, the Fed, everything else, <clears throat> and we'll talk a little bit more about the Fed in a second. But it's interesting because, you know, on top of the markets trying to figure things out, you know, the problem is that we also get conflicting data. And everybody's trying to figure out from the data right now, you know, what data is important, what's not important, what's going to drive the Fed. You know, Friday's job report was, you know, pretty strong. And, you know, that lifted expectations for the Fed to hike 75 basis points in September. There's about a 72 percent probability right now that the fed will hike by 75 basis points at the end of the month so you know strong economic data that's going to continue to lead in that direction weaker economic data well that might suggest that the fed might be a little bit more cautious about hiking rates well and so yesterday to you know add to the conundrum we had two reports on the same sector of the economy come out we had the ism which is the Institute of Supply Management Services Index. And that measures the services, non-manufacturing side of the economy. And that's, and today, as opposed to the 1970s, when, when manufacturing made up about 80% of the economy, today, services make up about 80% of the economy. Manufacturing is about 20%. So it's, a, it's an important indicator to tell you about what's going on within the economy, the strength of the overall economy, et cetera. And it showed a fairly decent increase in the services activity. Now, again, you know, if you throw a ball down a hill, I just want to put this into context. If I'm standing on top of a hill and I throw a ball down the hill, it's going to bounce down the hill. It's still going down the hill, but there's going to be points to where it bounces, and that's what's going on with services indexes. And, yes, after the first couple of quarters of this year where we saw fairly negative contraction in economic growth, not surprising, still a little bit of a pickup as we get some pinup up demand, back-to-school activity, et cetera, right? So it bounced a little bit yesterday, showing a, a fairly strong increase. And it's still, in a, in a, in, it's still, as we talk about in the stock market, the trend is your friend. The trend is still lower. It just bounced on the way down. However, another indicator that came out yesterday from S&P Global, Standard & Poor's. They measure the exact, exact same sector of the economy. They have, they have the non-services, uh, you know, non-manufacturing services side you know, kind of indicator. And this is the global U.S. services indicator. And it showed actually a fairly steep decline in services. So, if you're watching our live stream right now, I've got a chart of this, and I'll explain why this is important. Now, Pantheon Economics, uh, which is the the company that produced this chart, they said if well if we had to choose, we would probably choose ISM over the S and P Global Services. And the question you have to ask yourself is why? Why would you choose that one over the the other one? Because it's more bullish. If you actually are, and again, I'll explain this if you're driving, so please don't try to look at your phone while you're driving. It'll get you a ticket or a wreck, one of the two, and I don't want that to happen to you, but I'll explain this to you. But if you're you're watching our live stream right now on YouTube, you can see this chart, and what's important about this chart is is if you look at the global U.S. services by S&P, There are points in time that it diverges from ISM. In other words, the majority of the time, ISM services shows a stronger number than the S&P Global U.S. services. And so if I want to be bullish, I'm going to pick ISM services over the S&P Global, right? Because I want to be bullish, and that, that gives me a bullish indicator, so I have confirmation bias. The problem with that analysis is, is that when those divergences occur between ISM and S&P, ISM usually catches down to the S&P. In other words, the S&P Global U.S. Services PMI Index is actually a more accurate indicator historically. Now, this indicator only doesn't have a long history to it, but it's long enough. And it typically leads ISM services when it's declining. So what this suggests is, and again, the, the important point about this is that what we're talking about going into next year in particular, and, and we've discussed this before, is that, you know, yes, we had two quarters of negative GDP growth in the first, you know, first half of the year, but that won't be registered as a recession, the recession's still coming, and likely we're going to see a little bounce in economic data. And then once we get to 2023, that's potentially where, and again, there's no absolutes, there's no guarantees. But if you look at the, the declination and the trends and the economic data, and then, of course, the sheer fact that the Fed is hiking rates to slow economic growth to, to try to quell inflation, the risk of a recession is fairly high going into 2023. Now, can we avoid a recession? Sure, anything is possible. But if you take a look at, again, the trend of data, kind of where we are within the cycle, what the Fed's doing in particular, tightening their balance sheet, hiking interest rates, that is going to suggest that we are going to have more negative economic trends in 2023. Now, let's extrapolate that out a bit. And again, let's go back to what we're talking about in the first segment, which is talking about earnings expectations. If I'm correct, and again, there's no guarantee I'm correct, but if I'm correct and we do have slower economic growth because that's what the Fed wants in 2023, then earnings are going to have to decline because you can't sustain high levels of earnings in a slow economic environment because the revenues that lead to earnings are derived from economic activity. So if we're slowing economic, economic activity, if we are trying to quell inflation by doing that, we're going to have slower earnings growth. And that's going to lead to a revaluation of equity prices to justify lower earnings, right? It's just, it's, it's just kind of a, a logical process that we have to go through. And again, I, I, you know, the markets have not really accounted for all this yet. Now, you know, I want you to be careful with this because, again, there are a lot of things that, that can happen between now and then you know the problem as we've talked about before predicting anything more than about three days out in the future is is pretty pointless because so many things can happen I mean just you know last week you know we were having a whole bunch of stuff going on and then you know now Russia decides to shut off the gas to 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 Europe right so it caused a big sell-off on Friday you know there's so many moving pieces in the financial markets, whether it's geopolitics or whether it's finance or economics or politics in general, you know, what our, our politicians do or don't do, what Europe's politicians do or don't do, all those things factor into the markets. You can't separate out politics from the financial market because they're intertwined. You can't separate out economics from the financial markets. You can't separate out... Uh, you know, geopolitics from from the the markets because they're intertwined. It's, It's those decisions that lead to economic activity, which affect the financial markets. As an example, you know, there's obviously a energy crisis going on in Europe. And this is leading to a 222 percent increase in electric bills, a two trillion euro increase in electric bills in the eurozone. It's going to be about 20 percent of GDP. I mean, we we're talking about households, you know, over there, and, and again, you know, over here, we're like a 500 you know electric bill, no big deal, it's kind of normal. Over there, it's a lot, all right. You know, we've talked about before the disparity in income. The reason that everybody hates the U.S. and the reason that everybody wants the U.S. to become socialistic is so that we have the same standard of living they have, which isn't great, by the way. We talked about before, if you earn $30,000 in the U.S., you're in the top 1% of income earners worldwide. So the reason everybody else wants the U.S. to be socialistic and to adopt things like universal health care and all these type of, of giveaways is because it will lower the standard of living in the US to match that of the Eurozone. We'll all be equal, be poor, but we'll all be equal. But this is why as Europe implodes right now, because of what's happening, they're talking about radical interventionism, price setting, which Vladimir Putin just calls stupid, and that's true, suspending derivatives markets, now talking about Europe-wide margin call bailouts, You know, these are the things that can change market dynamics. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away.
0: real investment advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: It's back to school time. And for your high school student, it's time to fill out the infamous FAFSA form for college financial aid. Mistakes could cost you money. Our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA. Register now for this free lunch and learn with Danny Ratliff and Chris Liebham, Thursday, September 15th at noon at realinvestmentadvice.com. .com Filling out the FAFSA is vital for getting financial aid. Learn how. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com.
0: You're listening to the Real Investment Show.
1: So just for the break, talking a little bit about markets and repricing as we go into 2023 and and the risk of betting on a bear market crash. Right. And this is the the, the majority of questions I've been getting lately is like, you know, well, why do you have any equity exposure at all? Markets are clearly going to crash. we we'll have a bear market. You don't know that nobody does. And one of the things that will change that dynamic, of course, is that we've been training investors now for the last twelve years that whenever central banks you know act, that you want to you know own stocks because they're going to bail out the financial markets. What they don't want is financial instability. And we've talked about this before. I mean, fighting inflation sounds like a great plan. Until you bust up the markets, and then once you start busting up the markets, that kills consumer confidence that throws the economy into a deep recession, and that's the one thing they don't want because that leads to credit problems and you know and this is the point that you know we are facing now is. There's clearly some evidence that the economy is going to slow down. The Federal Reserve is going to hike rates to the point that, you know, they d- diminish demand in order to quell inflation. Unfortunately, what happens historically is they tend to go too far. They tend to break something in the in the markets or the economy. And that requires them to start cutting rates. And they, uh, you know, that's one of the interesting things that that happens is that when the Fed starts cutting rates – that's not where the market bottoms. Markets are generally in pretty much in free fall when the Fed starts cutting rates because markets are declining and the Fed's cutting rates to try to stop the decline in the markets, right? Think about 2020 as an example. So by the time the Fed cuts rates, they're going to start cutting rates fairly aggressively as the market's declining and generally the markets trough you know, after the Fed as well into the rate cut cycle, reversing QT, going back to QE, et cetera. And, you know, and, but again, you don't know when that's going to happen or what's going to cause it. And, and like I said, what we've got going on in Europe right now is an example of this is that Europe's imploding, right? I mean, they are, they are going to face a severe recession, if not a quote-unquote classic depression because of energy prices. And this is going to cause a lot of problems across the economy and the surging electric costs are 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 going to wipe out a lot of traders that were not positioned for it and this is why they're talking about suspending derivatives markets they are talking about price setting on you know gas prices um you know europe-wide margin call bailout so when people get a margin call you know they're, they're they what margin is is if you don't know when you borrow something on margin I'm, I'm i'm using debt to buy equities or some derivative and when that blows up i've got to pay that back and i don't have the money for it so what europe's talking about is, is bailing out all these traders that take make wrong-sided bets on energy prices etc blow up and then they've got to get bailed out so that's supporting markets you know, you've you've removed by doing that, you remove the consequence of bad decisions. So you increase speculative risk by doing that, because if there's if I'm going to get bailed out, why not take a flyer bet? You know, think about it this way. If you go to Vegas, as an example, and you walk in the door of, of a casino in Las Vegas and the manager walks up to you and says, you know, Mr. Clanton, welcome to, you know, the Las Vegas Casino, the Blagio. Pick one, right? You go gamble to your heart's content. Whatever you lose, we'll give it back to you, right? So Brent's got no risk. So why would he not clean out his 401K plan at that point and, you know, bet 32 red on the roulette wheel, Right? Because if he loses, he gets his money back. But if he wins, he gets to keep all the profits. So a a no-risk position incentivizes more risk, right? So this is what this does in markets. And we saw this clearly after March of 2020 when the Federal Reserve bailed out markets and bailed out the credit markets and bailed out junk bonds and then threw capital into the markets and then we started giving checks to households. There was no risk, so everybody went and, and speculated on stocks, right? When there is no risk, it incentivizes more risk. And that's what Europe's doing now. And now, of course, it's only a function of time until that comes back here into the United States. The worse it gets, remember, we export inflation to import deflation, right? We, and what that means is, is that the reason that we offshore our labor is to lower costs because you want too much to work, right? California just passed a a law, yes, over the weekend. Governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill in California uh, mandating that certain restaurants have to now pay $22 an hour minimum wage to restaurant workers, certain restaurants. Now, it excluded bread makers for some reason. Right. If you make bread, you're exempted. If you have fewer than 100 restaurants, you're exempted. So basically, companies like McDonald's, Subway, Starbucks, those are the ones that get impacted. So what will happen, obviously, is that you're going to see a lot of restaurants close down. And this always has a, you know, a negative effect because you're increasing cost on businesses at a time where people have less money to spend. And, and again, if you're going to make me pay $22 an hour for minimum wage, that's great. No problem with that. I'm just going to raise the cost of my goods, right? So people don't eat out of this McDonald's that much. But these are all the consequences of political action. And they have, they have an impact on economics, which has an impact on earnings, which ultimately has an impact on stock prices. But the problem is you don't know when that reversal of policy is coming. So, you know, lots of bad decisions have been made and will get made. And the problem with trying to bet on a blowout bear market is that you don't know when one morning you wake up and Jerome Powell's on television going, yep, we're dropping rates back to zero and reversing our QE, right? And this market's going to go screaming higher. You're going to go, why? Economy's in shambles. Because that's what we've taught investors to do. You know, it was interesting. I got an email over the weekend from, you know, a listener asking a legitimate question. Says, how do you approach buying stocks in your portfolio? Do you look at fundamentals first or technicals first? And, you know, and I was talking about, you know, just a moment ago, if you ask a stupid question, get a stupid answer. You know, I seriously, you know, thought about for a moment just responding, just pay attention to the Fed. Because that's what we've taught people to do. Nobody pays attention to fundamentals anymore. Valuations, pff, who buys valuations? Technicals? They work. If you're adept at using them, you can certainly use technicals to help navigate markets. But even that's not a surefire bet. You know We've distorted markets so much because of government interference, political decisions. That's what I was saying before. You, know, you can't separate out. You may not agree with the administration. You may love what the administration is doing. It doesn't matter. But politics have an impact on the financial markets what they do has an impact on financial markets pass a chips bill right we're going to pass a bill and we're going to give companies money to build plants here in 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 the states right it's going to impact the financial markets forgive student loan that's going to impact financial markets gives people more money to spend right so these all have impacts and decisions that we make today don't necessarily have an impact today, but they will have an impact in the future. And so the, the problem is, I, it's, and, and kind of just you know, making a full circle back to where we started, the problem with betting on a bear market and, you know, hey, I'm going to be short the market and I'm just going to ride this puppy down, right? I'm going to buy all kinds of puts and, you know, just when this market crashes, I'm going to be, I'm going to kill it. It's going to be awesome. tomorrow you wake up and you've lost all your money because the Fed did something or the ECB did something or the Bank of England did something. And it changes market dynamics because nobody pays attention. Look, if, if, the, if we could step the Fed out of the markets, if we could remove the Fed, abolish it, get rid of it, the ECB, the Bank of England, Bank of Japan, we get rid of all these central bankers. The markets would gravitate back to fundamentals because that's what matters. And fundamentals aren't great. Prices are extreme. I'm writing an article right now. I'll have it out in the next week or so. But I was doing this yesterday. Prices are extremely deviated from corporate profits. And even though corporate profits rose in the last quarter... Corporate profits, by the way, are hugely subject to negative future negative revisions. But even though profits rose in the second quarter, that's likely about going to be the peak of corporate profits because there was still that influx coming in of those stimulus checks, et cetera, the, the kind of the tail end phases of child tax credits and stimulus, all that, people buying stuff. And companies had cut a lot of staff in 2020, 2021. You know, there's so profit margins were, were large, right? That's trailing data. Very likely going forward, we're going to see those corporate profit margins start to shrink and pretty rapidly. But these are all the things you got to pay attention to. And, and, the, and the problem, as I said, is betting on a bear market and, and being one-sided. This is the one we talked about before is, you know, never take a one-sided bet is because if you're wrong, it can cost you a lot of money. Be right back after the break.
0: news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com
2: It's back to school time and for your high school student it's time to fill out the infamous FAFSA form for college financial aid. Mistakes could cost you money. Our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA. Register now for this free lunch and learn with Danny Ratliff and Chris Liebham Thursday, September 15th at noon at realinvestmentadvice.com Filling out the FAFSA is vital for getting financial aid. Learn how. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com The Real Investment Show.
1: So futures are kind of flattish this morning. Um, again as we kind of grind through this week so far uh Nasdaq down about 20 points uh, Dow's down a couple um actually now zero it's flipping back and forth right now um you know and this is kind of just you know this process that the markets are working through we're in this as we started out the show this morning talking about these buying and selling stampedes we're just in the middle of this one of these selling stampedes at the moment we've broken important support at the 50-day moving average. There is a real risk that markets will try to retest lows uh, of July. Yesterday, we closed the market sitting on really important support um, that goes back to some previous bottoms and tops that we had during the July. You know, some, some bottoms we had back in May and June and some tops, the kind of little tops we had in, in July. So there's some support that we were sitting on at the close yesterday. We need to kind of hold this level. Otherwise, we're going to retest those lows. There's no more support below this until we get to lows and that's going to be confounding because if you remember uh, we were talking about here on the show that you know during the middle of that July August rally that we had retraced 50% of that decline from January and historically that says that well you never retest lows that's what history says and it looks like we may retest lows so this this will be the first time right so we'll see how this works out but You know, blackouts imminent, 75,000 powerless in California as record power usage is sparking a demand problem. You know, PG&E is warning, you know, customers that, you know, you've got to cut back on your power consumption or we're going to have to do rolling blackouts. And now that's started and, you know, that's going to continue to probably, you know, get worse. But as we've talked about before, this is the price that you pay for trying to shift too quickly to a green energy economy, which is much less efficient than coal, gas, or oil, right? And so, you know, you've got to have a bridge. And even, and what's interesting is, is even Elon Musk is now talking about the need for oil and gas production, saying exactly the same thing. You know, electric vehicles are fine, but you need a bridge to get from point A to point B, you just can't shut off oil and gas and then go all electric because A, the power grid can't handle it, and B, you can't produce enough of it, and C, now you can't produce enough of the batteries. So, you know, this is, is you know, the, the whole idea of, you know, green energy and electric vehicles and all that's fantastic. We talked about that on the show before, but you can't just make this switch overnight because, you know, the economy is not built for it. The structure's not built for it. You know, the, the the smart move would have been to go hybrid first, build enough hybrid vehicles to start the transition, and then move into electric or whatever future technology is going to be. And, look, it's unlikely to be batteries. Whatever, whatever the future holds for, you know, non-ICE engines, it probably won't be batteries. It'll be some other technology that hasn't been invented yet, but will be. Because, again, there's simply not enough batteries to do what you need to do to many people. So we'll see how this works out. But, you know, this is one of the problems that is going to impact consumer confidence. It's going to impact consumption. You know, if I'm sitting in my house in the dark, not real going to be real happy about it. <laughs> and, uh, again, these are, you know, impacts to the economy. We're just talking about what's happening in Europe right now with, with you know, Consumers about to be hit with 500 500 euro electric bills, they're not prepared for it. And that's why Europe is talking about all kinds of bailouts and price setting and price caps, which are terrible, terrible idea, right? Putting a price cap on something is a terrible idea. I mean, that causes all kinds of other problems. Derivatives markets go to zero once you start price capping stuff because nobody wants to trade that. So, you know, that causes all kinds of financial instability. And so that's coming, right? And again, unintended consequences of actions. Everybody jumped off this electric vehicle bridge without paying attention to the unintended consequences. Well, here they are, you know. And, and yes, part of this has to do with Russia. But that's an unintended consequence, right? You can't, you know, when you're planning, you have to plan for what happens if. You know, if we're going to do this, what happens if somebody would actually, you know, shut off some gas or we have an oil crash or whatever it is? You know, can we survive this? And see, we didn't do that. We just said, hey, let's all go jump off this bridge together. We want we we love electric vehicles, even though it's a stupid idea. Let's go jump off this bridge, right? And so everybody did. And so here now we're going to pay for those consequences. And this is this is going to impact markets again it impacts consumer confidence it impacts consumption it impacts a whole variety of issues and so that's coming but there's also opportunity there right again there's not enough batteries to go around which means you know you need more lithium for batteries so you know companies producing lithium have been doing very well this year which is why we own some in our portfolios right Companies that are, you know, playing that green side, look, you know, it doesn't matter whether or not you agree with the green philosophy or whether or not you think it'll work or whatever. That has absolutely nothing to do with anything when it comes to investing. If there is a demand for it, that's going to benefit some companies over others. There's only one sector that's positive this year. Actually, two. Two sectors are positive this year. Utilities and energy. Oil and gas. Yeah, the the same oil and gas everybody hates, right? That's that's the only sector outside of utilities that are positive this year. And what are what are a lot of utilities running? Coal. So, you know, when you take a look at, you know, utilities, definitely not on the green side. Oil and gas, definitely not on the green side. But those are the two. Those are the two sectors <clears throat> that are outperforming. Why are they outperforming? Is because there's a massive demand for that good, caused by a whole variety of issues. This, you know, this radical shift to green technologies, Europe, what's happening in Russia-Ukraine, all that's impacting all at once, right? So it's always important to separate out politics understand that politics have a very important factor into the investment decision but don't let your personal politics interfere with your investment decision right it's like you know if you if you have a green bias right he's like i'm not going to own any oil and gas companies because they're evil and i'm all green that's awesome you've missed out on a nice return this year So, again, it doesn't matter whether, you know, there's this new show on Netflix um, where they have these four real estate investors and people come in and show them their house and they basically can sell them their house right there on the spot. It's kind of like Shark Tank for real estate. And so this couple shows up and they have an earth house, what they call an earth ship in New Mexico, and it's a fully self-contained you know, house that it has its own greenhouse all attached to it, two bedroom, two bath. Very nice. It was a very, very pretty house, right? And so I'm looking at this house going, okay, here's this house out in the middle of, you know, Taos, New Mexico, out in the middle of nowhere. It's like, this thing's got to cost a couple of million bucks, right? And I was way wrong. It was like 900,000. They wanted 900,000 for it. I think it wound up selling for 600, something like that. And you know, the point is is that you know, just because you have a philosophy about one thing, don't let that affect your investment decisions because they always don't coincide. And this is why you have to look for where opportunities are and say, okay, look, you know, whether or not you agree with whatever philosophy it is, that doesn't matter. Where's the opportunity? How can I make money off of this? because that's what we do as investors. It's okay to have your personal politics. That's fine. It doesn't, that doesn't matter what your personal politics are. But where can I make money? That's what's more important. And, and, that's, and that's what is being generated. So when you take a look at what's happening in Europe in relation to energy prices and bailouts and all these type of things, the question to ask yourself is, is like, yeah, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> but where can I make money off of it? And that's not just in the short term, that's also in the longer term. How is that going to impact markets over the course of the next 12 to 18 months? How is that, compared to what the Fed is doing as well, going to impact markets here? What happens, you know, if something breaks, and you know what you're talking about here is when you're bailing out margin, when you're bailing out derivatives markets, when you're shuttering things down to try to control prices, there are bets that the markets have made on certain things. And when you start interfering with market function, which is what they're doing, that tends to lead to things breaking in the most unexpected of manners. And that's the risk. So these are the things, to be, these are things that we're going to be thinking about over the course of the next few weeks as this continues to mature, and we're going to be looking at placing bets accordingly in, you know, and opportunistically relative to both where we think the economy will be through the end of the year but also moving into next year. But these are the things to be thinking about. You know, where is it that we can make money off of this? Look, I don't have all the answers right now. You know, these are the things that we're talking about daily, you know, in our office. But these are the things that you need to be thinking about as well. And there's lots of opportunity. And it's not necessarily all on the short side either. So, you know, again, as I started out the show talking about, as we wrap up the show talking about, be careful making one-sided bets. If you think the world's coming to an end, it's probably not. Doesn't mean it can't get worse before it gets better, but odds are, and the the bet to always make is that things do eventually get better. All right, wraps up the show for the day. Get by the website. Our latest blog post is out talking about staples versus discretionary stocks uh, by Michael Leibwitz this morning. It's on the website now along with our daily market commentary. The newsletter from this weekend is out as we go through the entire market structure, what we're talking about, what we're looking at, all of our trades are placed in there as well. It's all on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. All right, have a great day. See you back here tomorrow with Michael Leibwitz for the Thursday edition of The Real Investment Show. We'll see you then.